The last few weeks we've been looking at, um, you know, just Jesus as Lord and the gospel. What is the gospel about Christ, the crucified king? And, you know, the gospel, if we just go over it very quickly, because this is the best message you're ever going to hear is the gospel message. Uh, The crucified king died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. And so he is Lord of our relationships and we freely forgive one another. Jesus... um, is also the resurrected king. He rose from the dead. And because he's the resurrected king, we receive a quality of life, eternal life now. Death is not the end. Uh, Death has been defeated and Jesus is Lord of my time. There's a new dimension to my time. I'm thinking not just about now. I'm thinking about that eternal dimension that's to come. And then we said he's also the ascended king and he's risen risen from the dead. He's ascended to the throne of his father and he's poured out the person and power of God, the Holy Spirit. And And the father says about that he's given him the name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we say we choose to do that now. And he is Lord of our confessions of what we actually speak. And so this is where it gets really interesting because we the church have been working since Jesus ascended and poured out the Holy Spirit. We've been working for over 2,000 years bringing heaven to earth, bringing the rule of God to earth. And yet We still see disasters, we still see sickness, we still see wars, we see murder, we see terrorism. Uh, And could so easily have a downer and start to complain about the slowness of the church's work in bringing heaven to earth. We could moan about it, we could say this is taking a long time for this to happen. Uh, We could go all miserable and critical, but instead of doing that, we say that we are going to today declare that Jesus is Lord of our hopes. Because Titus 2, verse 13, Paul writes there, he says, While we wait, wait for the blessed hope, the happy hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Jesus is the returning king. It's what Richard preached about last time. Jesus is the returning king. One day he will come back. And everything will be put right. Everything will be complete. And this is our hope. And hope, because he's Lord of my hopes, I can wait for this blessed hope. I can wait for this happy hope. And it can just be a theory. Or I can say, you know what? I'm confessing him as Lord of my hopes today. And when we do that, things start to change. Hope comes into our hearts. Hope means I expect things to happen. My future, your future, is as bright as the promises of God. You are, I am, therefore, a person abounding in hope, prolific hope, teeming with hope, when Jesus is Lord of our hopes. I expect powerful surges of God's goodness in my life. I expect his goodness to increase day after day in my life and my surroundings because he's Lord of my hopes. While I'm waiting for that that ultimate day, the day that Jesus returns, while I'm waiting for that, I say, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus and be today the Lord of my hopes. Come and be Lord of everything I hope for. Hope, you see, is first of all 
an attitude in your heart, and then it's an action of faith. What I believe is primary. What I believe, what you believe, is more important than what you do. Uh, Actions follow beliefs. There is nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with my actions, nothing wrong with your actions, when you and I believe the right things about ourselves. Uh, When Jesus is Lord of my hopes, I live well. The word hope... What does it really mean? It it, it can mean one of two things. It can mean an uncertain desire or a confident expectation. The year was 2004. Sumbo had gone on holiday to Barbados. And she sent a postcard from Barbados. And as I remember the morning really well, through the letterbox came a postcard from Sumbo uh, in Barbados. And at the same time came ferry tickets for our family holiday going to to France. Uh, Philippa picked up the post. She looked at this. She looked at the picture of Barbados and said, oh, I hope one day we'll go to Barbados. Here's some posts for you, Dave. She passed me the post. I opened it. It was the ferry tickets, signed, sealed, and delivered, all paid for. I said, I hope we're going to France, (laughs) to that campsite. Guess what happened? Uh, We went to France. Uh, You see, do you understand we're talking two very different types of hope? It's the difference when you're watching the England team play and you see Wayne Rooney in the penalty box and you think, I hope he's going to score. Versus you see James Vardy in the penalty box and you think, I hope he's going to score. The one is, I hope he's going to score. The other is, I hope... Uh, You see, the one is vague, wishful thinking, fingers crossed, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Uh, The other is a happy, joyful anticipation of something you know is certain. I hope I'll be blessed when I see Jesus face to face. Something you know that's going to happen. You see, when we have... Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory, expectation based on the promises of God. We go beyond just positive thinking. We go beyond just I hope, fingers crossed, and we go into our hope. I have a certain hope, a sure hope. This is what I know is going to happen. Spiritual hope has a God peace in it. It's a different language. It's the same word that the world uses. But for believers, it's a very different word to us. Hope, hope, totally different. Fingers crossed, hands in the air. I know it's going to happen. Two different types of hope. Our hope has a God peace in it, a supernatural peace, and the certainty that comes from the faith element that only those who know God personally and have a personal relationship with him can ever experience. The most powerful truth in between believing God for something and the answer coming is the truth of hope. That's in between. Between the prayer prayed and the answer received, hope 
is powerful in the middle. Hope is what keeps you in joyful confidence, in joyful anticipation. I know that I know that I know this is going to happen. I have hope. God is our hope. And hope is a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, you know, everything possible and impossible finds its hope in God. I wait on him. I believe. The hope-filled heart that believes is so powerful, irrepressible, uncontainable. I am a person of hope. The Bible gives us three images that we're just going to look quickly at this morning. Three images about this sort of hope. A door, an anchor, and a helmet. When you feel like a failure, when you are a failure, and you feel all hemmed in, there's an open door of hope that the Bible speaks about that I guarantee you that for every person who feels hemmed in, who feels miserable, even as Rosie was leading this morning and, and encouraging us, you might feel down, you might feel sad. I want to tell you, there is, I guarantee you there is a door of hope for you to walk through this morning. That God has put there. Uh, when the trials and, uh, and troubles of daily living come. No fault of your own. And, and, and you're discouraged. You can take hold of hope as an anchor. To keep you very secure at that time. When your mind is bombarded with all sorts of negative thoughts about yourself. About the situation that you're facing. The Bible talks about a helmet of hope. That we can put on to protect our minds from down depressing thoughts. Let's look at this first one, first of all, the door of hope. The Israelites in the Old Testament, I need to tell you a story so you can understand when we talk about a door of hope. The Israelites in the Old Testament around 3,500 years ago were marching around the walls of Jericho and they all shouted and it was God's supernatural intervention and the walls fell down. They knew that God was with them. Walls don't normally fall down when you shout. Uh, our house walls would have fallen down many times if that happened. But, but, but the walls fell down. They went in and, and, and they won a great victory. The next place they had to take was a place called A, just a small town. They went and sent some spies to look at it. They came back and said, you know what? We, we're an army. Of, we're a people of over 2 million. But we only need to send 3,000 people into A. This, this, this will be enough. And, and, but what happened is... is it turned into a place of trouble. It turned into a place of defeat. And it was all because a man called Achan had caused them trouble by disobeying. They should never have taken anything from Jericho. But Achan took 200 silver coins, a fine Babylonian robe, and he took a gold bar and he went and hid it in his tent. And that was something God had told the people not to do. And there was judgment on the people. It meant when they went to attack, I... Even after the great victory of Jericho, 36 men were killed uh, when they went into battle. It says in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 5 that the people were paralyzed with fear and courage melted away. And there's a word in Hebrew uh, because all of this happened in a valley called the Valley of Achor. And, and there's a word in Hebrew which sounds like Achor, which means trouble. That which brings disaster. And so the Valley of Achor, because they knew defeat there, the Valley of Achor became an expression that meant I'm having trouble. So when you said, you know, I was chewing my pen this morning and I broke my tooth, uh, and you said, that's real Valley of Achor, that. 
It's trouble. Um, when you say, uh, you know, I, I was gardening and I did my back, oh, it's a real valley of ache or that bad back I've got. Or whatever situation you're facing, I've been fine, the speed camera got me again, oh, that's a real valley of acor. And whatever situation, you talked about it, a valley of acor. And it, it, it became an expression for something that caused trouble. And usually, though, it was trouble where it was your own fault, you'd caused it. It's your fault it happened to you. Uh, I want to say to you, perhaps today you're here, and like the Israelites, you know you've had fantastic victories in the past. You know there's been times when you've sensed God's presence very close and very near to you. And then you've done something stupid, something daft, and your own fault has caused you to not sense the presence of God like you did, to cause you to, to get into financial need or whatever it is. Uh, and you've let the Lord down and you feel you're in a hopeless situation. Your valley of acorn might be that temper that you just refuse to control. And every time someone disagrees with you, you slip into a temper and people are scared to say things to you. That relationship that you know is not right, but you persist in, in carrying on it. It's become a valley of acorn. It's causing you trouble. That, that, that tendency to lie, to cover up wrongdoing. It's a valley of acorn. You know it's wrong, but it's just there in your life and you seem hemmed in by it. That selfishness with money. You, you can't think of giving 10%. You can't think of giving beyond that. And you're selfish with your money and you think, oh wow, I wish I could be generous, but it's a valley of acorn, my finances. That sin which so isn't easily entangled. It's hopeless. You, you let God down again and, and again and it's a valley of acorn in your spiritual life. I've got wonderful news for you today. Whatever the valley of acorn core is that you're in today. God places before you an open door. You see, around 2,700 years ago, uh, the people of God weren't following God wholeheartedly. It was a bit of Baal worship one day, a bit of God worship the next. Baal, God. Baal, holy God. Ba and they were topsy-turvy relationship with God. And in the middle of all this, 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 this wavering faith and trusting God, in the middle of this, God tells Hosea, the prophet, to take as his wife a prostitute. And he takes this prostitute wife as a picture of how God's people have played like a prostitute in their relationship to him. She has children. While she's married to Hosea the prophet, she has children by other men. She's unfaithful. She's not loyal at all. And God declares in Hosea chapter 2 how he's going to punish this unfaithful, two-timing prostitute for a lack of faithfulness to her husband. He's had enough of a garish makeup, enough of a suggestive clothing. God is going to punish her. And then he says all of God's actions are, are fully justified in how he declares he'll punish her. But however, he then says in the middle of all this, God's amazing compassion comes out to even this prostitute Gomer, her name is. And God says this, I will, in chapter 2 verse 14, I'll speak tenderly to her. I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth. What's God saying? I'm going to, this prostitute, this person who got into a place where who knows what bills she had to pay. Who knows why she had to live in such a, a, a destitute way. But God says to her, I'm going to do something in her life. That valley of acorn, which is just trouble and trouble and strife for her. That which doesn't make her happy. I'm going to restore to her. All that she's lost. I'm going to restore to her, her, as it were, her virginity even. I'm going to restore to her that relationship that she lost. Because the valley of Acor, I'm going to place within there 
a door of hope. God today says to anybody here who's disappointed with their behavior, disappointed with the amount of pride that's still in you, disappointed with the amount of selfishness that's still in you, whatever it is, God says to you today, yes, you've experienced trouble. Yes, you've known what it is to be depressed and sad. But in your valley of Acor today, I'm placing a door of hope for you to walk right through. Because I'm a God who loves you. Out, out, come on, there's a door for you to come out of that, 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 that compulsive habit. There's a door to come out of those suicidal thoughts, out of that long-term sickness, out of that long-term depression, out of that financial debt, out of those relationship issues, out of the unemployment, out of sinful despair and into holy joy. There's a door of hope in your valley of Acor today that you can come out of. His love is great. And you say, but it's been my fault. Yes, it was Gomer's fault. Yes, it was the Israelites' fault. Whatever it is, he says to you, his grace is greater than your sin. See, he says he's a God of love to Israel. He goes on later on, Hosea, who's been through all that, marrying a prostitute and, and seeing all that happen. God then speaks to Israel through Hosea and says this, through, you put your name where I'm reading Israel. When Israel, chapter 11, was a child, I loved him as a son. Put your name there. When, your name. I loved him or her as a son, a daughter. And I called my son out of Egypt. Then verse 8, oh, how can I give you up, O Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not punish as much as my burning anger tells me to. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One who lives among you. I have not come to destroy. I love you, says God. Are you getting this? There's a door of hope. No matter how hopeless you think a situation, no matter how self-inflicted it is, God's gracious love is the basis for hope. Uh, it's like that door that the Israelites went through before they left Egypt. It was sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. There was a price paid. I want to tell you that this hope isn't cheap. This love is not cheap. Jesus has paid the price that you should have paid for your sin. But because he's fully borne it, because he's fully paid the price, why should you condemn yourself and say, my place is in the valley of Acor? No, it's not. There's a door of hope. There's a door of hope for you to come right out of that. Uh, you see, don't wallow in self-pity when there's a door of hope to walk right out of your valley of Acor. Revelation 3 verse 8, Jesus says to one of the churches, that I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. Don't you try and shut a door that he's put in front of you. There's always a way out. You say, practically, Dave, how do I see what you're saying is there? Remember when we talked about Jesus as Lord of my confessions, we, we, we talked about calling into existence things that don't exist. Uh, all the more when you're told from the word of God that there's a door of hope there for you, how much more can you call that into being? And, and, and you can begin to say, uh, you know, why don't you just say it now? There's always a door of hope. Say it again as though you mean it. There's always a door of hope. You see... The moment you say that and begin to believe it, there's a spiritual shift that takes place. Right. Something happens. Say it again. There's always a door of hope. 
hope is rising as you begin to declare the truth of God's word. You see, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says, there's no temptation, no trial that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you have a trial, when you have a tribulation, when you're tempted to sin, he will also provide a way out. There's always, always, always a solution. There's always a way out. Speak it into being. Say it again. There's a door of hope. Sometimes, we look in there, it's a, it's a door. Sometimes you feel hopeless because of what you've done. You've done an Aiken, Valley of Acor that you're in. A God of love places a door of hope before you. Other times, it, you, you haven't done anything wrong. You know you've not done anything wrong. And, and trouble comes your way. And, and uh, you know, Job 5 verse 7 says, People are born for trouble as predictably as sparks fly upward from a fire. How frail is humanity, Job 14, verse 1. How short is life and how full of trouble. Troubles come, people. Trouble comes. And sometimes it is not your fault. It's not self-inflicted. It just happens as surely as sparks fly upward. Can you have hope in the troubles and trials of life that come through no fault of your own? What do you hope in? Hebrews 6, verse 18. The writer there says, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Other versions put it, this hope is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Uh, when troubles come, when the storms of life come, as they definitely will, hold on to the promises of God's word and say, I'm holding on. It's an anchor for my soul. I remember driving in, in the 1980s, long two-day journey across part of Zaire, as it was called then, in the back of a forward control Land Rover. It was dirt roads. It was a dry season. It was red dust coming up, getting all your hair dirty. And to make matters worse, I was sat on this bench with just bricks. and it, We hadn't even got proper seats in this Land Rover. It was bricks and a board across. I was sat there. Opposite me was sat this woman who would have been around about 70-something who didn't know how to stop talking. And she talked and talked. Two days! Two days of this woman talking. Heat, dust, dirt flying there. Just hearing her talk the whole time. We got to a river crossing. Uh, we got to a river crossing. And she was talking. I thought, I've got to get away. I've just got to get away. She just didn't stop talking. I, 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 I moved up. I've been, you know, day and a half in the car with her. She just went to this river. It was the River Lomami, a great big river in Congo. I, I went to the river. I put my feet. I took my flip-flops off. Put my feet in the river. I thought, this is nice. I'd got jeans on, but I just began to wade into the river. I thought, this is good. We were waiting for a ferryman to come. It's like an old barge that they sort of tied to a rope that they got you across the river on. I was waiting for him to come, and I thought, you know what? I could hear her talking in the distance. I'm not going to even go on the ferry. I'm going to swim across. Uh, uh, and I went into the river. I started to swim. I started to swim, and I was a strong swimmer. I, I started to swim. And, and, and as I got to the middle, so I noticed the point where I was trying to swim, I was going further down. I went into a bit of a panic, I'll be honest, because I thought, this isn't good. I, this current is far stronger than I thought it would be in the middle of this mighty river. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, but I was, began to go down. Now, further down, there were hippo in the river. 
I'm not exaggerating. There were hippo in the river, and there, there was just a few hundred yards down with these rapids. I thought, Dave, this is the end. <laughs> uh, unless, unless you can do something, unless you can start, hello, use your mind, don't swim against the river now, swim towards the side, even if it's further down. And as I swam towards the side, the rapids were fast approaching, there was a root of a tree sticking out. I grabbed hold of that root, <laughs> and I thanked God so much that at some point somebody had dropped a seed by the riverbank that meant there was a route there because I would be just a few yards further down. I might not have been here. I held on to it for dear life. I want to say to you, what do you hold on to in the storms of life? How, you see, Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, the very next verse after the one I've read to you, Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The wonderful thing about an anchor is it gets rooted in it. You can hold on to it. It's not going to move. How do you hold on to the anchor? If I were to ask you right now to share with the next person sitting to you, is what has God promised you? Would you have much to say? If I did it right now, um, I'm not going to. But I wonder how many of us would be able, this is what God's promised me. This is what I know are the promises of God. That's your anchor. That's your anchor. If you think, well, I'm not sure what I'd say, Dave. What are you holding on to then? Get the word of God. Get the promises of God. All that God has promised you. Get it into your, into your inner being. Hold on to it. This I know that God has said to me. Through his written word, through prophetic word, whatever it is. I just know this is what God has said. And I'm holding on to it for dear life. Because when troubles come, that's what will hold you secure. Um, uh, you see... Encourage one another. You know, like Abraham, speak God's promises in Romans 4. Speak God's promises over your life. Begin to regurgitate the promises of God. And this is what God has promised me. Even to yourself, I'm just going for a period of the moment where I'm declaring things over my life every morning. I just get up and I declare things. I've got a list. And I just, this is what God is saying to me. Uh, you see, help each other in, in connect groups. When we meet together, let's begin to ask those sort of questions. Come on, let's declare what God has promised. Let's share the promises of God with one another. There's no disappointment in hope. There really is nothing wrong with you apart from not having totally changed your way of thinking. And hope inside you causes you to think differently, causes you to speak differently. Our, our actions will always follow what we believe. Believe you are holy and you'll live holy. Have the hope of holiness. Right, Jesus' righteousness is yours right now. You've got no other way to come into his presence, people, apart from his righteousness. It belongs to you. Begin to speak it. Begin to confess it. And watch your actions change as you change your thinking. Hebrews 6, 19-20. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We're talking about an anchor. This hope, this sure and certain hope, is not found anywhere, the writer of the Hebrews says. He says it's behind the curtain, behind the veil. What's he talking about? 
You know, the people in the Old Testament had a, a portable home, if you like, a, a mobile home for God's presence. They called it the tabernacle. It had an outer court. It had a, 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 a building in the inside which had a, divided into two parts, the holy place, and behind the veil, behind the curtain, was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where God's presence between two golden uh, cherubim with their wings touching one another, that was where, if you asked any Israelite, where does God live, they'd say he lives there. That's his postcode. In, in the holy of holies, in that most holy place behind the curtain. Once a year, just once a year, the high priest Aaron and those who succeeded him, the high priest could go in with the blood of bulls and goats and for a whole rigmarole of ceremonial washing and also just once a year throwing on incense from a burning altar if he couldn't properly see what he was doing even. And he'd go in once a year just to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Once a year someone could be in the presence presence of God until Jesus and then when it went from the tabernacle and the temple was built it was the same thing but on a grander scale in the temple the day that Jesus died on the cross we read in the in the in the gospels we read something wonderful happens it says in Matthew 27 the day Jesus cried out it is finished with a loud voice that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and Jesus, writer to the Hebrews, explains that Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron, an earthly priesthood, but in the order of this heavenly priesthood, Jesus had done something far more wonderful. What had been acted out as only a shadow or a type, Jesus, in reality, went into the most holy place in heaven. And by the sacrifice of himself, by his own blood, he presented to God his own blood as the sacrifice that takes away your sin and my sin. So we're no longer into blood of bulls and goats, but where does the writer to the Hebrews say our hope lies? Our hope lies not out there in Egypt, not out there in the wilderness, not out there on the outest part of the tabernacle, not in the outer court, not even in the holy place, but in a reality way. It's in the most holy place, in the very presence of God Almighty, in the heavenly realm. My hope is there. The anchor is in the most holy place, beyond the veil. It's not wishful thinking. It's not hoping that one day this or that might happen. Every promise is given. I hold on to it. I hold on to it. I hold on to it. Um, you see, Christ alone, cornerstone. Uh, my anchor lies within the veil. Where's your hope? Where's your anchor? It's in the very presence of God, behind the veil, in the very presence of God. When you've failed, you're in the valley of Achor, there's a door of hope. When the trials and troubles of daily living come to you, hope is an anchor that's there. When your mind is bombarded with all sorts of hopeless thoughts, you wake up in the middle of the night and you get all depressed and you get negative and you start worrying about things and you start becoming concerned, you need to put on hope as a helmet to protect your mind. We've, you know, since 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Uh, you know, protect your mind from negative thinking by putting on the hope of salvation as a helmet. We 
Paul writes this. This is what his attitude was to suffering. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. What's the best thing you can have, says Paul? It's even more important than a good character is hope. Uh, See, character for many of us would say that's the final goal of Christian life. But there's something beyond character that we must possess. It's hope. Hope is the confident expectation of good things coming your way. It's an overall optimistic attitude about the future based on the promises of God, based on the presence of God. Hope joins faith and love as the big three. In, of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope in God is so different to just a forlorn hope so. Uh, it's, it's far more than just a, 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 an optimism. Fill your mind with the, put the helmet of salvation on. Fill your mind again with the promises of God. Start to declare things. I expect today to have divine appointments to where I can meet people and share the gospel with them. Where I can meet people and share God with them. That I can heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Today I'm expecting that. Uh, I'm expecting today to be the best day of my life. Emotionally, relationally, financially. I'm expecting God to bless me. I begin to live with hope. And people who have hope are powerful people. And it's not because of your track record. It's not because it's just a turning to God, going through that door of hope. You say, Dave, you don't get this, do you, Dave? I'm bad in the winter months. I have sad syndrome. I get depressed. I want to say you're in good company. Tozer, Tozer, A.W. Tozer once said this. He said this. He said, I don't have this long face for nothing. I'm a born pessimist. I can see the dark side, the darkest side of the fleeciest cloud that floats in the blue sky above. But I have trained myself by the word of God and prayer never to look that way at things. Take God's side and the resurrection side and the victory side. Live on the side where the promises of God are. Like Tosa, you can train yourself. Begin to renew your mind. Romans 12 verse 2. You're transformed not by trying harder. You're transformed by renewing your mind. Start to declare things. Psalm 91, I know there's angels protecting me right now. I haven't got to worry about going to the airport on Thursday when I fly out and join the American Airlines queue, uh, uh, you know, flying out to Grand Rapids on Thursday. I haven't got to worry because I know there's angels protecting me. I, I, I speak to every mountain of discouragement, of stress, of depression and, and lack and cast it into the sea and say, go from here to there. I begin to declare Things that come from a faith that's born of hope filled in my heart. Uh, a door, an anchor, a helmet. Three images, three pictures in scripture which show Christian hope is a strong confidence in God which has power to produce changes in how we live. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, hope in God. doesn't mean cross your fingers. It doesn't mean God might work for you. It means be confident that he will. Be strong in God. Be courageous. We're going to stand together and sing if the worship team are ready. That would be fantastic. We're just going to sing a song in closing. But I want you to, to step into, to step into a, a, through a door of hope, to put on a helmet of salvation, to take hold of that anchor and say, Oh, Lord, I, I don't want to go in. 
I don't want to go out the way I came in. I, I, I want to really let hope arise in my heart because my anchor lies within the veil. Christ, you are my cornerstone, the one I hold on to. Let's sing that song together, shall we? Amen.